Dr. Jeremiah Johnston is a New Testament scholar and he serves as president of the Christian Thinker Society, where he equips believers to give intellectually informed reasons for what they believe. Jeremiah also serves as pastor of apologetics and cultural engagement at Prestonwood Baptist Church. Thanks so much for joining me on Takeaways. Kirk, it's so great to be with you and I love your show and you are a Christian thinker. So I'm just delighted about this <laughs> conversation we're about to have. Guys like you and Lee Strobel and Greg Kokel and others are helping me be a better thinker. And, and that's why I, I love talking with you. For, for those who aren't familiar, uh, give us your testimony. How did you come to faith in Christ? Absolutely. I came to faith in Christ at seven years of age. And my dad was preaching a revival in Euless, Texas, in the great nation of Texas. And I made my own decision <laughs> for Christ. But it really wasn't until I was 18 in college that I came to the point where I needed to own my faith better. I needed to know why I believed what I believed and if it was really true. And that sent my wife, Audrey, and I on a whole trajectory. I mean, it, it's funny, Kirk. People are like, how did you start Christian Thinker Society? I just love that brand. And branding was not on my mind. What was on my mind was I was not a Christian thinker. My wife wouldn't have considered herself a Christian thinker, but we wanted to be Christian thinkers. We, we read the great commandment, love God with your heart, soul, and mind. And we were at a place in our faith where we loved Jesus, but we just weren't loving God with our mind like we wanted to. We weren't able to answer even our own questions about our faith. And Boy, that sent us on a trajectory we're still on. And not only is it amazing, but it's so life-giving and enriching to help others answer the tough questions they face as well. And you have a unique role as pastor of apologetics and cultural engagement, meaning that you're both a pastor and you're an apologist, so you're engaging with the culture and answering their tough questions. And, and I've always wondered uh, what apologetics is, which group of people is it's more valuable to? Is it more valuable to the non-believer, helping him to clearly see the cross and consider the gospel? Or is it more valuable for the believers in the church so that they don't lose their faith over the tough questions mm. that they cannot answer? That is a that is a great question, and I actually studied that when I was at Oxford because I was under the impression apologetics is only for Delta Force Christians, like some of the people you just named, to reach skeptics and atheists. But when you study the 138,000 words of the Greek New Testament, you see that most of the apologetic content is directed to the body of Christ. Sure, we need to be able to give reasons to people that don't believe, but that is written for the church. And I, I think of Colossians 2.8, it's probably one of my favorite verses right now. When Paul wrote to the Colossian church, he said, see to it that no one takes your mind captive through empty deceit, hollow mm. philosophy. And when you think about Paul writing that to the church leaders, Kirk, of the church that literally the Colossian church, don't let your mind be taken captive. You know, that's straight to the church. So it turns out apologetics is probably even more important for believers, for men and women who are growing in their faith, just like Audrey and I, my wife and I were, to know why we believe what we believe, but most importantly, to be able to engage culture and conversations that lead to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah, and, and I'm even thinking about that, the verse, you probably know exactly where it is in the scriptures about always being prepared to give an answer for the hope that yeah. lies within you. But perhaps uh, the, the real value is not only or even mostly for the person that you're talking to who may be asking you these tough questions, but for you so that you don't lose your own confidence and your own edge 
in your ability to be able to, to do the works of God and to proclaim the gospel to other people. Because that'd be the best way to take out God's army of compassion would be to undermine their own confidence and dull their weapons. And so apologetics right. help, helps us sharpen our sword and it gives us great confidence and boldness to advance the kingdom. I couldn't have said it better myself, Kirk. So you're an amazing Christian thinker. Well, <laughs> I mean, really, it's the great commandment. I mean, it's what Jesus told us to do. Jesus modifies the Shema, Deuteronomy 6. Jesus loves to messianize Old Testament passages and apply them to himself. The Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, quoted multiple times a day by observant Jews, love God with your heart, soul, and strength. Jesus changes it. And he says, yes, love, love God with your heart, soul, and strength, but love me with your mind. And one of the great questions that we can ask ourselves and for everyone watching this interview today is, are you loving God with your mind? And what does it mean? What does it look like to love God with your mind? And you're exactly right, Kirk. It not only protects the gospel, but think about 1 Corinthians 15, probably the most respected chapter in all of the New Testament. Why would Paul write to the church at Corinth, now, brothers and sisters, I need to remind you of the gospel. Why did he start the great on the resurrection? Because the gospel is so easy to forget. It's so easy to get lax and complacent and get our focus off truth. And what was amazing in my own journey, Kirk, I became an addict of truth. And the most dangerous place a Christian can be is when you stop seeking truth. You know, Augustine said it best, all truth is God's truth. And so that means every truth we find in the world can and will be reconciled with our faith. And it may, it's amazing, uh, the deeper you go uh, with God, the deeper he'll walk with you. Jeremiah, you also talk about the need to go on the offensive with our faith, not just be on the defensive asking, uh, answering other people's questions. Are there some questions that, that non-believers need to be asking that they're not asking. And is, is that the kind of thing that you're training pastors and Christians to do? Absolutely. I'm training Christians and pastors to first be addicted to truth, to understand what truth is and how to pursue it, because we serve a God who is the God of all truth. Je Jesus said to Pilate, ectes aletheus in, in, in Greek, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. I spell truth J-E-S-U-S. -S. And so the more we lock into Jesus, because he's the God of all truth, the more that we can use truth in conversations. The scary part that I would ask um, non-believers or skeptics or seekers is, are you pursuing truth and why do you believe that? Because we all care about truth. You know, we might, be able, we might try to espouse a sort of relativism, but guess what? Relativism doesn't work in the real world. You know, when I was flying out here to Colorado, I would have got off the plane if the pilot wanted to turn off the Rolls-Royce engines and just fly according to his truth. No, there is absolute truth when it comes to flying an airplane. There's absolute truth when it comes to religion and behavior as well. And so just getting people to stop, get off their phones and think for themselves for a moment, say, why do you believe that? And are you really pursuing truth? I think those are important questions to ponder. I love how uh, your ministry is, is sort of defined by this phrase of teaching pastors and Christians how to become real thinkers and teaching thinkers how to become Christians. What does it look like to become a better thinker? Does it mean I have to read more? Does it mean that I've got to memorize answers to a bunch of questions? How do I become a better Christian thinker? What does it look like to exercise that muscle? 
Well, the first thing you need to realize is we need to recover the great intellectual tradition of our faith. The only reason that Christianity survived the first three centuries is there were men and women who, Kirk, they outthought everybody around them. They were writing letters to the emperor about why Christians were great citizens. I mean, just think about that. Average Christians writing letters to the emperor about how great Christianity is for the world. And so what does it look like for you? Can you first answer your own tough questions that you face? That's step number one to being a Mm. Christian thinker. You mean God's a big boy? He can take my deep, dark question? Yes, God is a big boy. He already knows your question because he knows everything about you. Bring it to him. So first... We need to make sure that we can answer our own questions. But then apologetics, which doesn't mean we we should clarify apologizing about anything. It's a word Socrates used 500 years before the New Testament was ever ever written. It means giving a reason. So secondly, the job of the Christian thinker is to make sure, make sure our faith connects up well then with the cult, with the questions culture is asking about our faith. Kirk, what I love about takeaways, you're showing that questions that people have today, Christianity Christianity answers. Mm. The secular world thinks that Christianity is just the answer of, you know, the questions of our parents or grandparents. It's irrelevant to my life today. No, your show is helping us understand Christianity uniquely answers the questions that we face today. Jeremiah, um, is it possible for thinkers to become overthinkers? I mean, some people can just sort of, I don't know, they have a size 10 brain already, but sometimes they get locked up in analysis paralysis and they overthink stuff to where you get into the zone of things that we'll never be able to understand because we don't have infinite minds like God. Exactly. That's such an important point. So as we become a Christian thinker, remember, knowledge puffs up. Paul wrote that. Love builds up. And I take being, you know, we've lost the notion that Jesus Christ is the most intellectual person who ever lived. And Mm. yet when you study the life of Jesus, and by the way, I can say this as a gospel scholar, we only have about parts of 26 days of the life of Jesus in all of the New Testament. We have less than a month of his life. We see how engaging he was. We see how he invited individuals into a conversation. He didn't walk in trying to be the smartest guy in the room in Luke chapter 7 when he was invited to the house of, of, the, of the leader of the synagogue. He wasn't trying to be the smart guy. He was trying to be the person that found people at their greatest point of need. Mm. And so, yeah, don't outthink things. And guess what? Major on the majors. Get the gospel right. What did Paul do? He becomes a Christian. Ananias' brother Paul welcomes him to the faith. He goes to Arabia for three years. And then, Kirk, I really hope we can time travel someday in heaven because he, he does a vacation in Jerusalem, according to Galatians 1, with two really cool guys, Peter and James, the Lord's brother. And they spend two weeks making sure Paul majors on the gospel. So just think about that for a minute. Like Paul could have, Paul gives us 32,000 words of the Greek New Testament. So only Luke writes more. He could have written about so many things, but he Mm. keeps going back to the gospel. So make sure if you're a Christian thinker, answer your own questions, be conversant in your faith, but make sure you get the gospel right. Listen, we can agree and to disagree on secondary issues. We can't mess up the gospel. Mm. So we got to get that right. And then we have to know how to explain it in a way that's compelling and conversant, cogent and persuasive. One one of the things that's been uh, particularly troublesome to me is apologetic ministries or apologists who are so convinced that they're correct that they sort of have a smug attitude toward other people, particularly oh. these, these ministries uh, of, I call them the sin sniffers and the heresy hunters. They're just out there to sort of pound everybody that doesn't agree with them. 
What words of advice can you give to Christians who think that their theology is sound? It is, it is, it is pr practically flawless. How do we examine our own hearts and our own minds to know that we actually believe what the Bible really teaches? That's such a good question, and I so appreciate you bringing this up. And it's actually one of the reasons I talk about Christian thinking more than apologetics, because apologetics has been so militarized. It's amazing to me the things that I've heard in the name of apologetics. And so that's why at Christian Thinker Society, we're all about loving God with your heart, soul, and mind. My message is from the old King James Version, <laughs> take heed. <laughs> take heed. Yeah. You know, when you think you have it all figured out, take heed. Um, and what I would encourage people with is this. Faith does not equal certainty. Faith equals trusting God through the uncertainty. Jeremiah, mm -hmm. you've been asked 40,000 questions. You mean there's some things you're not totally certain about? Many things, many things. But guess what? I realize that I define faith not as certainty. Faith does not equal certainty. Faith equals trusting God through the uncertainty. That's biblical faith. And remember, we don't faith faith, Kirk, do we? We have the object of our faith is where we get the power. That's the facts of the gospel, the person of Jesus Christ. Mm. Dr. Johnson, you wrote a book called Unimaginable, where you were seeking to explore what the world would be like without Christianity. And since Christianity's influence uh, has been everywhere for so long, how would you even know what it would be like? I mean, wouldn't we need a parallel universe to figure that out? <laughs> you would think so, but it turns out this is actually so much fun to teach through alternative history. It's a great way to learn. I was watching a show called Man in the High Castle based on a novel from the from the mid-19th century, or mid-20th century, rather, and it was about what the world would have looked like had the Axis powers won World War II. And Audrey and I were binge-watching it, Kirk, and I would just fire out, well, this, would, this is what the world would be like if Jesus never came. This is what the world would be like if there was not a church. And finally, my wife's like, Jeremiah, You've got to put all this together and you've got to help us understand the difference that the Jesus movement made, not only historically, but in the here and now. Because, Kirk, there are voices that think that religion is holding back the world from progress. And let's be very clear and specific, Christianity. There are many skeptics and secular humanists that if we could just get rid of Christianity, the world would become a utopia. It's these Christian people that are holding back the world from progress, from, from growth. And I wanted to answer that question. Mm. I was passionate about asking, okay, what difference did the Jesus movement make? And, I, and so there were really three ways to answer it. We can actually study what the world was like before Jesus. And so I have part one, the world before the Christian movement, the world before Jesus. Part two was people don't realize in the last 70 years, more than one half of the world's population and governments have turned their backs on God. So we can study the recent past of our parents and grandparents the last 70 years, and we can study what are those countries like where gods, they, they marginalize, they either marginalize Christianity or Christianity just collapsed? Do you want to raise your family in those countries? Are people more equal? Uh, and then finally, this was the really cool part, Kirk, and you're an author, so you would appreciate this. The third part was the world with Christianity. My publisher said, stop sending us examples of how the Jesus movement is changing the world today. We have enough. Mm. This book has to be accessible to people because there are so many who think, oh, the church, it's just irrelevant. Now, it, to make my case actually stronger since the book was released, I've, I continue to learn. You know, God takes us to graduate school even after we author books. Here's a great question for our audience. 
Did the world get better when all the churches were forced to close during COVID? Were people better mentally? Did the system? Of course not. It, the world got even worse. And so when I began to study the world that the Jesus movement changed, it was, it was incredible. Jeremiah, what would a world like ours be like without Jesus and without Christianity? I'll, I'll put it this way. There's a love letter from Hilarion to his wife, Alice. I open the book this way. It's, dead, it's written in 50 BC, Kirk. It's written in Greek. And his wife will give birth to their child before he returns from being away working. And in Greek, it sounds like this. He writes this beautiful love letter. He said, if it's a boy, keep it. If it's a girl, throw it away. And here's the thing. In the first century world, no one would have batted an eye. It was no big deal. It was a culture of death. You know, there was nothing like the Hippocratic Oath that was widely accepted. It was abortion on demand. It was family planning um, un, in unreal ways. Well, what changed this culture of death? Um, you know, what changed uh, this movement that especially towards women and towards children? Mm. Well, it was the Christian movement. It's undeniable. It's an unimpeachable fact of history. And in fact, there are 12 ways in which the world would be radically different tomorrow if there was no church, if there was no Christianity. What you'll find if you actually study this, when you actually look at places like where there are disasters, 64% usually of the relief organizations that come in when there's a disaster, they're Christian organizations. Unfortunately, there's 46 million people right now in the United States um, who can't don't know where their next meal's coming from. Do you know that Two-thirds of the organizations that feed the homeless and those that are food-deprived are Christian organizations. So I write in my book, America would starve to death if there was no Christian, if there was no Christian movement. Kirk, 70 million Americans live in what, federal, uh, what the federal government recognizes as shortage areas, meaning they don't have a mental health counselor within a drivable distance. Guess what fills the void for the mental health crisis? 353,000 Christian congregations in America where pastors give 10 to 20% of their time to just assist people with pastoral care and counseling. So look, Kirk, I could go on and on both historically what the Jesus movement meant for the world and then what it means in the modern day. You even say that atheism uh, as, a, as a worldview or even it qualifies as a religion uh, is a dangerous worldview and has the bloodiest track record of any philosophy in human history. Uh, why do you say that? Because when you study, again, the governments where uh, they're atheistic, where they're anti-Christian, um, it's much easier to kill people, Kirk. It's much easier to say you don't have rights, you have no equality. And so this is where we have to be so careful with the absolute truth deniers. What I have found with these governments, societies, leaders who uh, deny absolute truth, that gives them an opportunity to insert their own new truth. And usually their new truth is survival of the fittest, survival of the strong and aggressive. Yeah. You can go to countries even like Cuba today, China, um, various places throughout the Middle East, and you're going to see that many of the equalities and amenities that we enjoy here in America, because of the gospel, because of individual freedom that the gospel brings, are not enjoyed in other parts of the world. So I would just encourage people, study up on this. Uh, and again, you're going to see this is one of the greatest ways to argue for our faith is the impact the Christian movement makes on the world. As I say in the book, 
Christianity is the greatest force for good on planet Earth. I love it, and it's absolutely true. Uh, however, let's let's uh, let's back up for a second, and, and let's take a look at okay. at the church in history, and admit that there is some there's some dark corners in the history of the Christian church. I say that the church as in Christendom, there's a checkered past mm -hmm. when we look at things like slavery in the United States being tolerated by the American church, the abuses of power of the church, particularly prior to the Reformation, and even today, immorality that's being tolerated within the church. Mm -hmm. uh, people being man manipulated through religion. What do we make of all of this and still uh, be able to say that Christianity is the greatest thing to ever hit the planet? Your questions are phenomenal, Kirk, and this is where I would encourage Christians with Hebrews 12 to let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father on high. We don't worship Christianity. We don't worship a church. We worship Jesus Christ. The, the church can become breathless and winded when it, when it stays inwardly focused. And so I think what we need to pray for is the gospel to keep moving out, for us to continue to create content that changes the world around us. I mean, this is, this is why when we study what the gospel does and how it changes the world, it should motivate us to be a Christian thinker, to own our faith better, and to be willing to have conversations. Mm. And, and, and please, don't be silent. That's what we need. We need dialogue, and we need to model healthy discussions with people that don't believe. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show.